This morning we'll be continuing our, our study of the book of Daniel this morning in Jan- Daniel chapter 2. The t- uh, title of this morning's message is you know, The Great Faithfulness of God in a Time of Testing. And I'm a little afraid to preach this message because a couple of weeks ago I preached something a little bit similar and then I had to live it out that week. So I'm a, a little afraid to preach this message, but I think that's a good thing. Um, because I know, you know, so God, he, he, when, when, you, when you pay attention to what he is saying to you and you apply it to your life and you start to recognize it the next week, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we don't look forward to times of testing, but they do come. You know, those times come. And it comes for Daniel in another way. We saw in one sense last week that he, uh, he had to be courageous. He had to be daring uh, by speaking out, by having a conviction that he was not going to defile himself with the king's meat as that was forbidden for him uh, according to God's law. And he was going to put God first. He developed a right relationship with the authorities over him. And was able to effectively communicate his conviction and to uh, take a stand for what was right. And God rewarded for him for that. And, and Daniel trusted God in that situation. Once again, we see Daniel trusting God and uh, God's faithfulness in this morning's passage in Daniel chapter 2. That uh, term, great is thy faithfulness, that we sang in our first song this morning goes back to Lamentations 3.23. We saw that a couple weeks ago when we looked at that passage. But we also see that uh, his faithfulness is great. We see that theme throughout the Bible. You know, David speaks of God's faithfulness, that uh, he has never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And and this this morning we see that Daniel relies on God's faithfulness. He uh, trusts God in the midst of a test and looks for, God, looks for God's answer in this time of testing. God has the answers. So this morning we're going to look at three lessons. And I, I forgot to put a slide that stated that, but this is, will be the theme this morning. What we're looking at, three lessons this morning. Three lessons that we learn in Daniel chapter 2 of how God wants us to trust him for his answers in a time of testing where we find God to be faithful. And the first way, the first lesson that we see in in Daniel is that we need to trust God for the answers even when no one else has the answer, even where where there seems to be no answer where destruction may seem imminent. And that's where Daniel finds himself in Daniel chapter 2 this morning. If you'll begin with me in Daniel chapter 2. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, now remember Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon who carried Daniel and his friends captive. And then years later went back and leveled the city, uh, the city walls and and destroyed the temple. He had already looted it and raided it when he brought Daniel out of captivity. Uh, Most likely by this time uh, that chapter 2 takes place, Nebuchadnezzar has already gone back and removed the last king of Judah, the last king in the line of David. One of Josiah's sons, Zedekiah, uh, had rebelled, foolishly rebelled against 
Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar went and made an example of him. He put Zedekiah's eyes out and uh, after, only after, killing all of Zedekiah's sons in front of him. And so Nebuchadnezzar is a ruthless man. You're going to see a little bit, a little glimpse of that even in Daniel chapter 2. He's very ruthless. He's, he's a, a fearful, um, a, a person to be feared at that time. The most powerful man in the known world for Daniel at that point is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And this is dangerous. This dream is dangerous for a lot of people. Because Nebuchadnezzar is bothered by this dream and he wants to know what it means and he will have an answer or he'll have everybody's head um, for not answering him. And uh, he wants the right answer. He doesn't want some talk that will uh, try and persuade him that this is the answer. He wants the real answer. He is very deeply disturbed by this dream. And of course, today dreams don't really have this kind of same meaning that they had back then. Uh, in in this time, God chose to reveal his message at times through visions, through dreams, that he would allow his prophet, his chosen man of God, to receive the interpretation and let the person who had the dream, or perhaps the prophet himself, know the meaning. And Nebuchadnezzar sensed that there was a meaning to his dream, that it wasn't just an idle uh, dream caused by the pizza he ate the night before. Or, uh, this is... Nebuchadnezzar deeply disturbed realizing there's some kind of meaning. What does this dream mean? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep broke from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream. My spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show thee the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be turned into a dunghill. Nebuchadnezzar is determined to find out what his dream meant, and whether he actually forgot it or not, perhaps he really did forget his dream, couldn't remember the details of it. He just remembered it was important. It troubled him. It woke him up. Or perhaps he really does remember the dream. He just doesn't want to tell his magicians he's going to prove them to be frauds if they are. Because if they can really interpret the dream. Now, of course, from the wise man's point of view, this is impossible. They, they might be able to interpret some kind of meaning from it, they think. But Nebuchadnezzar either cannot remember or decides not to reveal what the dream was. So he will find out if these magicians really know their stuff, uh, if they really have this power that they claim to have to interpret dreams, let's see if they can tell me what my dream actually was. But of course, that's impossible. Physically, uh, humanly, that's impossible. They cannot tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was. And they're very frustrated that he would ask such a thing. But he demands it. He demands it, and, and their lives are in danger. If they do not tell him the dream, uh, their houses are going to be made a dunghill. Uh, so they and their homes are in danger of de immediate destruction here because they cannot tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was. Look at the next verse. And they uh, verse 7, they answered and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, 
and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of certainly that ye would gain the time because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words. So he is suspect of them, uh, that they're just going to make something up if he actually tells them the dream. But if they really have the power to interpret the dream, he wants them to tell them what the dream was. And he, you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation. That seems to hint that he really does remember the dream, at least somewhat. But he doesn't want to reveal what the dream was because he knows then they will just give some made-up interpretation. But they can't make something up if they don't know what the dream was. So if they really have the power to interpret, they should be able to tell him what the dream was. He is putting that challenge to them and of course they can't stand up to it as he rightly suspects anything that they would say about what the dream meant would just be their guess would just be their lies uh, most likely so the Chaldeans answered before the king and said there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter therefore there is no king lord nor ruler that asks such things as in the magician or astrologer or a Chaldean and you know physically speaking they're right there is no man of his own power that can tell the dream but there is a God who can reveal it and Daniel knows God and he's going to trust him to provide the answer Daniel is a wise man he's not a wise man that is privy to this conversation he is not there when the king challenges his wise men but he's in the category of wise men and nebuchadnezzar decides he's going to clean house he's going to get rid of all these frauds once and for all unless they were actually genuine unless they can actually tell him what his dream was and the interpretation of it. and he trusts that if they can really bring up what the dream was without him telling it to them then they then they're the genuine article then he can trust their interpretation but if not they're frauds and need to be eliminated why continue to feed and uh, enrich these men uh, around him if he cannot trust what they're going to tell him so he's ready to clean house and get rid of all of them altogether, including daniel and his friends who fall into that category so let's follow in verse 11 and it is a rare thing that the king requires this, it hadn't been done. this is something they had never heard of. He's asking something that isn't possible. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So they're recognizing, you know, the fact that there are multiple gods they're worshiping, the fact that there's counterfeit money is proof that there is the real, that there is the genuine there's counterfeit money otherwise, uh, because that there's, real, there's real money. If there was no real money, there wouldn't be all these counterfeits. But there's counterfeit gods. There's many multiple false gods that are worshipped. It goes back to a time when, back to the Tower of Babel, back to Adam and Eve, back to Noah, where the man had the knowledge and truth of God and he perverted it and corrupted it, invented his own version of the truth, which was false. But they have a sense here, going back to that truth, that God would have the answer. But they're saying, except the gods, multiple. And so their understanding is corrupt, and therefore they don't have the power, and they don't have the answer. Only God does. 
and they're not trusting God because they don't know God. But God can answer the impossible. What would otherwise be impossible, God can answer it. These magicians, these astrologers, these wise men recognize the fact that no man can answer this. This is impossible except for God. God can answer the impossible. And Daniel knows this. But they are frustrated. These men are not men of faith like Daniel is. So they're frustrated. Faith defeats frustration. But these men don't have faith. Let's continue reading till we come to Daniel in his faith in God. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. This king is ruthless. You do not want to cross him. And this is a king whom Daniel will stand before. He has stood before him before. If you remember in chapter 1, Daniel and his friends were examined by the king himself. And, the, and King Nebuchadnezzar found them to be more worthy than all the other wise men. But he's still not risen in the ranks to the point where he is there when, when the king gives this decree to the wise men and, and concerning the wise men that will affect Daniel. So the king decides... We're going to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Verse 13, the decree went forth that all the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. So there's a, a frustrating situation, a situation that would cause most people to despair. But because Daniel trusts God, he's not frustrated. He doesn't despair. He knows that God can provide the answer even to the impossible question. What was the dream? Impossible situations in our life, God has the answer. He holds that secret and that solution. Even when destruction seems imminent. And in this case, the destruction goes as far as death. Death is essentially knocking on Daniel's door when the guards come to take him away to execute him. Verse 13, and the decree went forth from the wise men that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. This is important. It's important that our words portray the faith that we have in our hearts. You know, out of the treasure of a man's heart, he speaketh. It's important to use wise words in faith, and Daniel does. He chooses the right words because he has faith in God. He speaks, he answers the guards who are ready to haul him out and kill him. He answered the counsel and wisdom of Arioch. And again, this goes back to what we learned last week as well. He had a right relationship with his authorities, so they, they already had his respect. They're, they're not, he's not on their hit list of people they want to eliminate he has developed a good relationship with his authority, even in captivity, even as a very young wise man who has not yet risen to the level where he's even present when the Nebuchadnezzar calls on the wise men. But he, he, he speaks to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, and he speaks with such counsel and wisdom that the captain of the guard hears him and is willing to listen and to work with Daniel and give Daniel a chance here to answer the king. Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? This is one of the best ways to answer a question 
that is a frustrating question or a difficult question, uh, a way that Jesus, when he was asked questions to try and trip him up, he would answer very often with a question. So Daniel has a question, which makes the captain of the guard stop and consider, why is the degree so hasty from the king? Well, Daniel doesn't even know what the cause is. What is causing us to be taken up? He's getting to the root of the matter. He's not just addressing the symptoms. No, you can't take us and kill us. We haven't done anything wrong. No, he asks, what is the question? What is the matter? What is the situation that is causing the king to hastily decree the death of the wise men? Then Ariok made the thing known to Daniel. Ariok took the time. You know, some captains of the guards probably went to, wanted to give these guys the time of day, but Daniel, with the way he answered, with counsel and wisdom, commanded enough respect that Ariok would stop and let him know what was happening. In verse 16, then Daniel makes an appeal. He very carefully uh, makes an appeal that is going to save his life, the life of his friends, and probably other wise men that would have otherwise been executed assuming not all of the wise men would now be executed because Daniel is going to ask for some time to answer. Verse 16, Then Daniel went in and desired the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king's interpretation. That took faith. That took trust. Daniel believes that God will give the answer. Daniel knows that God can give the answer. He knows that God is capable. He is powerful and wise, all-knowing, invisible, immortal, God only wise. He knows God to have that wisdom. And he believes that God will be willing to share it with Daniel for this situation. So he speaks wisely, and now we come to the second lesson concerning God's faithfulness to answer in times of testing. The second lesson we find is to enlist others to pray. Prayer, very powerful, very powerful. And when we enlist others to pray, there are great advantages to, over just praying on our own. Certainly, um, there are some prayers that we just take to, between God and us. They're very personal and private. And, you know, there's a reward for uh, just that, having that prayer closet where we get alone with the Lord. But there's also situations in which we should enlist others to pray for us and with us for situations such as we find here in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, sometimes known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were their pagan uh, Babylonian names given to them. But here they're called by their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire the mercies of God of heaven, the God of heaven, concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish and the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So this is going to save the other wise men, not just Daniel and his friends. A lot of lives here are at stake. And then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in the night vision. So Daniel enlisted others to pray. And here's some reasons. And we'll look at one, one cross-reference here. If you would uh, keep up your place here in Daniel chapter 2 and turn with me to Matthew 18, 
which is a passage we usually associate with uh, reconciliation and uh, a couple other topics, um, including the parable of the lost sheep and uh, what, what to do when, when a brother offends you and how to get right and have that relationship restored or to forgive others. Uh, but in this passage, we also have the principle of fellowship and prayer. In, I'll start at verse 16 in Matthew 18. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, and in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he, had, if he shall neglect to hear thee, hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be a, to thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two or three, uh, or if two of you, excuse me, shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so they have the fellowship here. They have a promise. Um, they have the clarity of their request between the two or three of them. In this case, four. Uh, every word is being established. They have the clarity of their request and uh, the, the fellowship they have in prayer. And God's presence is promised that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. And what this gives is the opportunity for not just Daniel to see the answer is prayer, but he's going to have witnesses to the fact that they prayed in an impossible situation and God answered. It just didn't, uh, Daniel can't then go and claim, uh, people won't be able to then go and claim about Daniel. Oh, he's just saying that after the fact that this happened, that, oh, he prayed for this. No, there is witnesses to the fact that they're praying for this impossible situation and God answers. It also helps grow the faith of those others who are praying, gives them opportunity. Daniel has this great faith that God will answer and give the interpretation of the dream. And he brings three others along with him who will grow in their own faith as a result of Daniel's faith that God will answer this prayer. And they're going to pray with them. God's going to answer and they're going to see God's great answer to prayer. When you go to the end of the passage, if you would, back in Daniel chapter 2, you see that, that they are going to see the answer to prayer. They're going to be witnesses to the answer. Skipping all the way to the end after God has answered and Daniel has answered the king and, and the king rewards Daniel. Look at verse 48 and 49. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king and he sat, and he sat Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So these men are going to, because of their involvement with Daniel, they're going to be witnesses of how God is going to powerfully answer this prayer. And they're also going to reap some of the rewards as they take part, as they are fellows. Uh, that word fellowship, notice in verse 18, that they would desire the mercies of God of heaven concerning the secret. Then Daniel and his fellows that Daniel and his fellows should not perish and the rest of the men of the wise men of Babylon. And then was the secret revealed. And we come to the third lesson that we see here 
in a time of testing, God is faithful and provides the answer. And as God provides the answer, the third lesson we see is that we must give the glory and the praise to God. Praise God for His answers. Notice Daniel does this right away. Um, immediately, he goes to God and gives God the glory personally, thanking God and blessing God for his answer. Again, verse 19, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the season, and removeth kings, and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things, and he knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light that dwells with him. We're going to come back to that thought. God works through the events of history. He works through events right now and in the future. And we need to look for what is God's purpose in all this? What is God doing in all of this? What is God's purpose in this testing that he wants to work? And Daniel is recognizing God's sovereignty here and how God has a plan and a purpose for these troubling times and things that are going to happen in the future. And we're going to come back to that concept. Verse 23, I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who have given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So Daniel immediately goes to God and praises him. You know, when, we're in, when we need something, we, we, it's important to remember to take that to God in prayer. But when we receive that need, that blessing, let's not forget to thank God right away. They thank God immediately, and that's what Daniel does. He also makes sure that he is not the one taking credit for this interpretation. If Daniel had wanted to, of course, God, I'm sure, would have punished him. Probably God would have never have allowed Daniel to give the interpretation because God knows the future if he would have known Daniel's heart that Daniel would have taken the credit. So it's very important that we have that heart, that we have that mind, that whatever God does in our lives, we're not going to take the credit for that but that we're going to give that glory to God. God is the one responsible for Daniel being able to interpret this dream. He could not do it of his own strength, and he's not going to claim that he had the ability to do it of his own strength. And God rewards that faith, that trust, that faithfulness, and the fact that, God will def uh, that Daniel will deflect the praise and the glory back to God and not claim the, any of the credit for himself. Rightly so, look at verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel is saving the lives of a lot of these men who are pagans. But, you know, there is a tradition that Daniel, through his influence among the wise men, and I believe it really starts here, it may have started in chapter 1, when he stood out among the crowd of wise men, and that he becomes healthy even though he's not eating the king's meat and drinking the king's meat uh, drink. He becomes healthy and wiser than all the other wise men. But rather than they all becoming envious, if there was any tendency toward that in chapter 1, in chapter 2, Daniel is saving their lives. And there is a tradition that Daniel establishes his own school of wise men 
called the Magi, and that those Magi, those wise men that come to see Jesus and Matthew in Matthew chapter 2, those Magi, those wise men, may have been, had a heritage of studying in a school of wise men and those who studied the stars and studied the scriptures and searched for the interpretation going back to Daniel. And there is a tradition to that effect that, that I believe to be true, uh, that Daniel will continue to have an influence among these wise men who he saves their life here in Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2, though, again, he gives the credit to God. He, he, he saves the wise men, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Verse 25, then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known the king the interpretation. Then the king said to Daniel, now again, Arioch presents it as, here's a man who's going to give you the interpretation. Daniel's going to frame it in a different way to when he speaks to the king. Then the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen? And the interpretation thereof, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show oh, unto the king? Daniel is letting the king know, this thing you're asking for is humanly impossible. None of your wise men could ever, himself included, tell you of their own strength of this interpretation. Verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar demanded the wise men tell him. If they're going to tell him what it means, they have to tell him what the dream was. So here Daniel tells him the dream. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came unto thine, thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secreth maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have. Again, he's not taking any credit. He says, not for any wisdom that I have more than any living. He says, I'm not wiser than any other man out there. That's what he's saying. Not, that's not the reason that I'm able to tell you the dream. It's because I'm wiser than anyone else. No, that's not it. That I have more than any living, but for their sakes that they shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was fine gold. His breast and his arms were of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, which were of iron and clay, and broke them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. 
Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom and power and strength and glory. Notice here, not only is Daniel not taking any credit for himself as he praises God for his answer, Daniel's also letting the king know the king can't take credit for his own. Daniel fearlessly lets the king know that God is the one who is the authority. It is by God's power that Nebuchadnezzar has been allowed to have the empire that he has, to have the great power and authority and riches and vast domain, vast empire that he enjoys. It's not because of Nebuchadnezzar's own might and power, which is great, but it's because God has allowed it, because God has essentially decreed it that Nebuchadnezzar would be the one, the instrument in his hand to punish Judah, to take them into that captivity, that they would learn to worship God alone and not idols and to obey God and also to bring punishment upon many other heathen people whom Nebuchadnezzar is used against and Nebuchadnezzar is going to have to learn himself that he is only a tool in God's hand Daniel points him to that truth here Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn it later in this book of Daniel for himself but Daniel is letting him know that truth right here he fearlessly tells the king this man who could have Daniel taken out he could stop Daniel mid-sentence and say Daniel you just told me that I'm not the one who is in control of my own empire you go out and you be, you you're you're done um, I'm having you and all the wise men executed but no Nebuchadnezzar listens Daniel fearlessly points him to God and gives God all the glory but he does go on to give the interpretation here Verse 38, and, where, and who, wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into his hand, and he hath made thee ruler over all. Thou art this head of gold. So Daniel is letting Nebuchadnezzar know that he's not just saying this to flatter Nebuchadnezzar. You are the head of gold. You are the greatest. You are the best. You know, certainly other magicians, other wise men would have played that up. But Daniel points Nebuchadnezzar to the fact that God has made him a ruler and because God has done this Nebuchadnezzar has been allowed to be this head of gold this first great empire in a succession of empires that will be followed one day with the coming of Christ and God has a purpose for these events God uses this succession of empires to prepare the way for Jesus to come to this earth because through these empires, nations that were separate city-states and separate countries are now being connected together in a way they would not have ever had been otherwise by this vast empire. And one empire leads to another. Uh, we have the Persian Empire. The, the Babylonian Empire is used by God to take Judah into captivity. The Persian Empire is going to free the Jews back to their homeland. And you're going to see, of course, we've studied Esther in the last year and how she was used to be a, a witness and a light in that land. But also then you have the third empire. The Babylonian Empire was the head of gold. The chest of silver is the Persian Empire. And then the third one is the Greek Empire, which would also connect many people and lay a different cultural foundation in which Western culture today is even founded on the idea of reasoning rather than we just worship the king as 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 a god but rather you know the, the, the idea of the people having a voice and having reasons for what we do 
and that idea that there's a right and wrong in society, and then their language, their language, the Greek language being used to uh, preserve and, and distribute the, the New Testament as a common language of the time. God uses the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire is used even further, as that's the empire that Jesus is going to be born into, the, the legs of iron. And the Romans build roads all across their empire that will allow the gospel to spread very quickly. And again, you have the common languages of Latin and Greece being able to spread the gospel far more quickly than any time in previous ancient history since the Tower of Babel. God is using history for his purpose. And Daniel is recognizing and pointing that out here in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that God has revealed the meaning to. Verse 39, And after thee shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. As the iron that breaketh all these things shall be broken, shall it be break in pieces and bruised. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in, uh, in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, and the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. Jesus Christ is the rock of ages, as we're going to sing in our final hymn today. He's the, the rock that's cut out of the mountain without hands and becomes a mountain, this great kingdom. One day, just as Jesus came to this earth and died and defeated death for us with his death and then went back to his father, he's going to return one day. And that future kingdom of the Antichrist, that I believe is represented here by the toes of iron mingled with clay, a reborn Roman Empire, the Roman Empire going back to the iron legs in the future. Some people look at the EU and say, well, maybe that's going to come together and be strong one day and, and be the center point of a world empire for seven years under the Antichrist. And a great time of testing called the, the Tribulation. And at the end of that time, Jesus is going to return. He's going to set up his thousand-year reign on this earth. Those of us who have been raptured or have passed on and uh, been resurrected at the rapture to be with Christ forever will return with Jesus to reign on earth for that thousand-year reign, that kingdom that's represented here with the rock smashing the toes and the feet and the whole statue that all the empires of the earth will be dissolved and replaced 
by the emperor of Jesus Christ ruling on this earth one day. And we have that to look forward to in the future. And Daniel is giving Nebuchadnezzar a glimpse of that, or God is giving Nebuchadnezzar a glimpse of that through the stream and the interpretation provided through his servant, Daniel, as an as a instrument of God's message, God's plan being revealed here in Daniel chapter 2. And so another part of this praise, the reason we want to give praise to God, as we'll also look at again, we started to look at this past Wednesday, we'll look at again this Wednesday. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Daniel is pointing Nebuchadnezzar to Christ, to the coming Messiah, to God, and God's power to interpret dreams, but also what's coming in the future, which is Jesus, the Rock of Ages. Verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said of a truth, It is that your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. And of course, again, we know that Daniel deflects that praise to God, as we've seen already, makes it clear it's not him, but it's God. And through that points Nebuchadnezzar and the other wise men and everyone he has contact with and this testimony with points them to God and ultimately to Christ. And that is what we are to do today. We need to, to follow these lessons that we found here in Daniel chapter 2. When testing, or even what, what may seem like imminent destruction, as we see in Daniel chapter 2, comes knocking on our door, as it literally did for Daniel, will we remember these three lessons? Will we first remember to trust God for his answer in that impossible situation, whatever it may be, to trust God for his answer. And second, to enlist others to pray for that answer. And third, give God the praise for the answer. And sometimes the answer isn't what we expect, maybe not even what we want, but God will answer those prayers and will work. And he is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. You know, there's, there's another song, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, uh, I found, uh, that I found. It's not, not one we would sing in church probably, but it's, a, it's called Great is Your Faithfulness. It says, If I rise on the wings of dawn or drift in the seas of doubt, even there your strong right hand has never failed to guide me out. Great is your faithfulness to carry on with a sinner like me. Great is your faithfulness turning shame into victory. Your grace has never let me be. Your mercy waited patiently. Oh, so great is your faithfulness to carry on with a sinner like me. If I hide in the dark and shadows, fearful of each day, even there your blinding light illuminates my pathway. Lord, your goodness, your goodness never, never fails. It never fails me. And now we're going to sing uh, before we close in prayer and then sing our closing song, we'll sing one last hymn, The Rock of Ages, which is inspired by this vision that Daniel interprets by God's power, by God's authority and grace in answering Daniel's prayer concerning the Rock of Ages.
clef for me and Dan will come and lead that song then we'll close in prayer after that